I had a very early miscarriage and I was in the room alone. And of course we were talking, my husband and I were talking, but we were really told that a DNC was our only option and that it was important to do it right away. I'm not saying I wouldn't have necessarily had one, but I do think if I'd been given the opportunity or recommended to slow down and evaluate my options, I think we might be in a different position. But of course, my goal isn't to whistleblow or scare anybody either, because thanks to Steph and Devin and and what, what Steph's done for our family, and now we have this beautiful baby boy, I feel that we're on the other side of it so much where I can share, and I'm so happy to talk about this experience with the goal of really arming people with information and awareness to help mitigate this in the future. In 2019, at six months pregnant, we lost our second baby to an undetected external infection, and what followed took us down a path we could never have predicted. I was used to getting pregnant quickly and unassisted. The infertility journey came as a surprise. No one talked to me about getting my ovarian reserve tested. No one told me that because I got pregnant easily with my first and my second, it didn't mean that I could expect the same with my third or fourth for that matter. I thought IUIs were a for sure thing. I thought IVF was a one month process and that's just the physical part. All these assumptions were incorrect, but why would I know any better? I'm Emily Getz, a certified fertility coach, neuro-linguistic programming practitioner, mindset coach, podcaster, advocate, fellow fertility patient, and founder of Day One Fertility, a first-of-its-kind multi-level support network that provides fertility patients with coaching, resources, community, and mindset strategies. On the Day One podcast, I share my story and bring together moms, dads, parents-to-be, doctors, specialists, and healers to help break stigmas, normalize the conversation, and bring education to the forefront. Now, let's get into it. First Response has played a major role in my fertility journey over the past seven years as I work to grow my family. When I see a result using First Response, I know that I can trust it, which is imperative in this journey. So you can imagine how excited I am that First Response is sponsoring this episode. First Response is a brand that is there for us no matter what our fertility journey looks like, from preceding, testing with 99% accuracy and prenatal multivitamins, I can say with confidence that First Response is a trusted partner every step of the way. Emily and Stephanie, welcome to the Day One Podcast. I am so excited you're here. I'm so grateful to just be this safe space for both of you. I know it's a really big deal when you're sharing really the like long version of your journey for the first time. And I just wanted to say how honored I am that you've decided to allow day one to be that space for you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. So what's so special about this conversation is, of course, it's rooted in fertility. But I actually think it's straight up a story about friendship. And I think that when push comes to shove about any type of fertility journey, ultimately it's it's love. And love can show up in all of these different ways that you've never expected it before. And these stories are the ones that like really pull at the heartstrings. And it's just so amazing to sit with you both to really understand how this story came to be, how this baby came to be, how we brought 
collect there's a collective unit bringing this soul earth side so let's get into it you are two best friends and i thought we should start from there emily why don't you start us off like just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your friendship with steph yeah so we've been friends for almost 15 years i met steph through my husband micah who has actually been friends with her since they were little kids Um, Before I came into the picture, Steph married Devin, who became and still is one of mine and my husband's best friends as well. And then when Micah and I started dating, the four of us became very close. We've obviously made a ton of memories together over the years. You know, Steph's daughter was the flower girl in our wedding. Micah and I walked down the aisle together at her and Devin's wedding. And here we are like all these big milestones that have been integrated, like you both have been integrated in, into each other's milestones. Steph, do you want to, do you want to share a little bit about, about your love of M? She's just the best person to be around. She's fun. She's the life of the party. Um, and she mentioned all those great life milestones. She also was at the hospital and I had my first um, daughter. So We've definitely been there for each other through thick and thin, I think, through, um, yeah, definitely ups and downs in our lives. I know in my own life, the power of friendship and girlfriends and like having them by your side. When we're younger, it's all these amazing milestones. You know, you're like partying, you're going out, you're engaged, you're having wedding. Like, it's just like party, 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 happy, happy, happy. And then I feel like we hit this point in our lives, whether it's even like parents' health or like you know, other things that happen where the friendships get put to the test, right? Like the the friendships, they show up or they don't and we get older and we lose friends and then we get to the hard stuff. And either the hard stuff unites, I think, a friendship and builds them. Like I think about my own journey, I like could not do it without my group of girlfriends. And I feel like for both of you, this story is just you probably never thought that you would create like a milestone like this together. And it's just so, 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 so beautiful. So I thought we can just start from the beginning um, with like, how did we get to two best friends bringing in an amazing baby? So Emily, do you think you can start us off wherever it feels safe and right for you to kind of kick us off into this experience? Before we even start talking about the story of Sloan. I just have to put it out there how wonderful of a person Steph is and how much I adore her and her husband and her girls and how she literally is the miracle of my entire life. And I think most people could say that, you know, they don't have a friend that would do this for them. And quite honestly, we didn't think we had a friend that would do this for us until we did. I have like full goosebumps. (laughs) Okay, so let's start at what brought us to the point where we had to start looking into surrogacy. So I'll tell that story first. Micah, my husband and I always knew that we wanted to have a family and we were lucky to get pregnant for the first time pretty easily. Unfortunately, I started spotting around seven weeks, which was sad and scary as it was our first time, but we did know the stats around miscarriages. So we had a pretty good idea about what might be happening. 
We went to the emergency room, which of course during COVID meant that I was in there alone. That makes it, you know, even more intense, but also it's important because when we're in these situations alone, we don't have someone that we trust who's able to listen firsthand as well and help advocate for ourselves. Um, so I do feel for everyone that had to go through any medical situation alone, it's just that much more tough. Um, anyways, a few blood tests and checks later when I was in the emergency room confirmed that I was in fact having a miscarriage. Um, I was passed off to another department in the hospital where I was recommended to take a medication to help my body clear the pregnancy within a few hours. I was actually recommended to take it twice just for extra effect. And I kind of did as I was told. I was back in the hospital for an ultrasound two days later, which showed that the pill wasn't successful in entirely clearing the pregnancy. So from there, I was told that they would help me book into a women's clinic for a DNC, which I was told was routine, you know, standard, a pretty obvious next step. We never really discussed taking the pill again. We never discussed waiting to see if my body could do anything on its own. It was my first pregnancy. My husband and I, I, I feel at least that we were very trusting of the medical advice we were being given and we were no experts. It was our first pregnancy. And to be honest, we, we hadn't really even started sharing that we were pregnant because it was so early. So anyways, within 72 hours of this whole situation starting, I was in a women's clinic. I signed a bunch of paperwork and I had the DNC, which was pretty grim and uncomfortable, but it was fine. I felt that I was treated nicely and compassionately. And I was kind of just sent on my way. I was told that I would soon get my period again, and then we could start trying again, or we could wait. But but that was the next steps we were given. No, no follow-up, really. And keep in mind that at such an early state of a pregnancy, you don't have an OB yet. You know, you're connected with an OB when you pass that three-month threshold. So before that point, you're kind of just passed around. So anyways, I'm sent on my way after the procedure and told that we'll try again when my cycle starts again. So a month goes by, no period, two months, three months, nothing. So we followed up with the hospital to see what was going on. And we were really you know, told to back off. We were told that it was likely stress, that it was near impossible for anything to truly be wrong. You know, by the four month mark, we really started pushing and we were approved for a hysteroscopy at a different hospital where they basically feed a camera into your uterus to take a peek at what might be wrong going, you know, right to the source. So I'm in this room having this procedure. I'm awake for this procedure. And, and the doctor is watching what the camera is projecting onto a screen. And within a few minutes, he starts nodding and starts turning the screen towards me and he points at the screen. And what he tells me as he's pointing at the screen is there's scarring all around the inside of my uterus, which he said he could tell right away was from the tools that were used in my DNC. He told me that this is a condition that's called Asherman syndrome, which he said was rare, but was caused by human intervention within a uterus, which is you know the tools that are used in a standard DNC. He said, this was the reason that I didn't have a regular cycle anymore, but also that a healthy uterine lining is necessary to be able to carry a pregnancy. So he told me that the scarring would prevent me from being able to carry my own children. And we were just shocked and it was a terrible day. I cannot imagine going in for 
what you think is sort of just an investigation and a routine procedure when these things happen and being told you can't carry children. Yeah, just unbelievable from going to one extreme. It's, it was unbelievable to go from one extreme to another in such a short amount of time and for them to start talking about such permanent damage or potentially permanent damage that we weren't warned about that was you know, caused by doctors, it really started to weigh on the trust that we could have in the care that we were being given. This is not like an uncommon conversation in the fertility space, unfortunately, of this like uneducation that we don't, we are all going in so uneducated and um, paying the price for that and being truly like a victim to being naive on something that you shouldn't be expected to, like you should be naive because you shouldn't be expected to know things that you don't know. So um, how can you just give me a like, what were those days after hearing that? Like, what did that look like for you? I would say the biggest feeling we felt was just such sadness and that kind of turned into panic, if I'm totally honest, because we were faced with such an unclear future where we knew so desperately that we wanted to have a family, but we were about to embark on having to learn an entirely new way to do that when we were already down the path that was so conventional. I am forever grateful for my husband and our families for really surrounding us with so much love and support. But of course, it was a terrible, terrible time. And, you know, from all the talks we've had, like leading up to recording this, I know how passionate you are about bringing awareness to educating ourselves and our bodies. And, um, it's like one of these things where these really hard, like I feel it in my own journey, you know, these I've learned so much. There's so much I want to expose. So other people don't have to go through what I've gone through. And it feels like you're like, um, like a whistleblower in a way, like that's scary to come and use your voice and share about this. Um, especially I can appreciate, you know, we don't want this podcast. We don't want this episode to be scaring people. We want to use our voice, use our experience. So if you find yourself where you were, you can avoid like this traumatic experience that you could have avoided maybe if someone else came on or if you were put in a position of more awareness. So can you talk a little bit about like what you've learned um, and any advice that you can give to people who might find themselves in like I air quote, like a naive situation around fertility, around their bodies, like how can they get in front of it? Of course, millions of women have successful DNCs without any issue. And I, I, I understand that there are very often times an extremely necessary procedure, of course. The same is true with so many procedures within women's health. It's not specifically about this procedure only, in my opinion. At the same time, I've learned that women need to remember that we are in the driver's seat of our own bodies and we need to steer the wheel and advocate for ourselves. If I could give any advice, the second that you learn you may be having a miscarriage, 
you need to truly understand all of your options. Just taking a pause, asking for clarification, asking for another doctor's opinion, asking for more information. We're now also able to have our partners in the room with us or loved ones in the room with us so they can help us listen, absorb, and respond because when you're going through a situation like that, your body's going through a lot. You may not necessarily be in a completely clear state of mind. You know, I had a very early miscarriage and I was in the room alone. And of course we were talking, my husband and I were talking, but we were really told that a DNC was our only option and that it was important to do it right away. I'm not saying I wouldn't have necessarily had one, but I do think if I'd been given the opportunity or recommended to slow down and evaluate my options, I think we might be in a different position. But of course, my goal isn't to whistleblow or scare anybody either, because thanks to Steph and Devin and and what, what Steph's done for our family, and now we have this beautiful baby boy, I feel that we're on the other side of it so much where I can share, and I'm so happy to talk about this experience with the goal of really arming people with information and awareness to help mitigate this in the future. I also, you know, would love to focus on conversations between patients and their doctors before having a DNC. I think they are a super common routine procedure, but we could do a lot better when it comes to explaining the rights and risks that women have and, you know, the risks associated with this procedure. But for now, and for this conversation, at least, it's just really about arming people with information and awareness so they can advocate for themselves and remind themselves that that's their right to do so. You know, you, I feel I can relate a lot because I feel in my late term loss, the same thing kind of happened where like we were just given an option and I was so overwhelmed and I went to it and I couldn't take the space to actually research or ask questions. And I think the other thing with the early miscarriage specifically, it's like you're private about it anyway. So it's not like a lot of people know where you're like reaching out to all of these people. It's like you have like a very small um, like uh, support at that point. So it's like a very awkward thing to be like, hey, I'm in the middle of a miscarriage. By the way, I'm pregnant. By the way, have you ever been through this? It's like, there's so, you're you're not public about something yet. So it's also your support is minimized in, a, in an early term loss. Couldn't you relate to that? Absolutely. I think you said it best. That's exactly how it felt. Yeah. It's like you're breaking the news and you're also in like trauma. It's, it's like a double, double-edged sword. And that's why I think, you know, one thing that I would say is feeling comfortable keeping things as private as you want. Sharing something like this is your ch choice. And I really advocate for doing that with whom and when you're ready. And there's no rush on that either. Yes, for sure. It's, um, it's so, so it's so personal and then you're in trauma silently too it's like this you can't win almost in this in this particular thing do you i think when what hits home your biggest advice and i feel like i will take it beyond even my own fertility is i think we get blindsided and then we don't take a step back to um assess from like a different clearer state we just want to get it over with like i remember with i've had dncs too and i was like get it out like i was just like i want it out like i can't and 
to your point, I think if there was a system, a support in place to explain, like, I get that that is the mindset that comes with what you're going through, but like, let's let me take a step back. And I think the other piece too is you don't have to rush. It's okay. You can take a couple of days. I remember feeling like it was, t- I had to do it fast. Totally agree. And it's just not always true. I never want to give absolutes and I'm not a doctor, but taking a moment to understand your options and feeling that you have a right to advocate for yourself and what feels safe for you is extremely important. Before we move on to sort of the like upward trend, I would say maybe of your journey, have I, is there anything else that you feel super passionate about or, or, you know, I want to make sure I'm giving you the space to, um, to feel like you've expressed yourself around Ashermans, around that specific experience. Cause I think it's this like really prominent moment in your journey. If you feel that anything isn't right, um, don't worry about being annoying or being the squeaky wheel. There are no other symptoms than scarring for my condition. And if we wouldn't have pushed for four months straight, I never would have had a hysteroscopy and I never would have gotten pregnant and I never would have known why, because there are no other symptoms and you have to push for people to take a look and you should always feel that you're in within your rights to push for people to help. We're going to kind of shift gears now because your journey starts to take like probably a completely unexpected turn. Like now it's like, okay, now what? Right. And so Steph, like you have always been on for each other, been on each other's sidelines, you know, um, supporting each other's milestones. This is like a different type of milestone. This is like something completely different that's happening to your best friend and you've probably feel so helpless. You also have your own baby. So I'm sure there's like something going on too with you where it feels like you're in baby land. She's in, I don't know if I'm ever going to have a baby land. That's really, really difficult. So I thought you could kind of start to come in and bring us into your point of view, observing what she's going through. And then how do you get to offering to carry her baby? Sure. So, um, I sort of, Emily, like she said, like she was going through this and she wasn't really, um, people didn't know she was pregnant. So sharing, I think the story of the miscarriage and Asherman's I think was really um, private. Um, But I guess uh, Micah and Em did feel comfortable enough to tell my husband first, who, um, you know, we we were all devastated and wondering um, how we could help and what we could do. and I believe, like, um, you can, like, chime in. Um, but at this point, you guys had already kind of, like, were in baby mode since you were already pregnant. And we're just, like, where do we go from here? What's next? How do we, like, fix this? Because, like, I think that once you're um, in the mindset of baby making, I guess, like, if that's the point, like, that's where your life's going, like, that's, um, I think, you just kind of want to get to that finish line. Um, and Micah being the amazing partner, I think that he is, was like, how do I solve this? How do I fix this? And, um, you know, was probably, and it was obviously a joint decision for them to, you know, seek how to bring um, a baby into this world. And I think like I mentioned, they wanted, you know, their own family. So 
Um, they probably did some research behind the scenes um, about what that would look like. Um, and in terms of where I kind of chime is, so my husband told me about it through um, my husband, through Micah. And you know, we were like, I'm the type of person that like, give me a problem. And I'm not like, I don't really listen. I'm like, getting I'm like two steps ahead being like how can I solve this problem um which my husband always says I don't listen and it's not that I'm not listening it's that I'm like trying to fix the problem already in my head um so Steph like, Steph is the person just to say Steph is the person that you always want on your team whatever the team is whatever sports, the like, team is I don't, I don't do sports <laughs> okay we've, we've never played sports together but Steph is the person that you want on your team, whatever the team is trying to do, she is the centerpiece of the team. So thank you. Um, so we were um, just like, okay, well, if they're going to try surrogacy, I think that at this point you guys had looked into maybe the States um, and, you know, going that route is really costly and staying within Canada, um, you know, your wait lists are really, really long. Um, you know, given Emily's diagnosis meant that she obviously couldn't carry. So my husband's like, do you want to like maybe think about it, whatever. So he really actually um, planted the seed, I guess, in my head. So we, I kind of like hummed and hawed on it for a while to myself. And then, I don't know, and what was it like maybe a month or two later, you called me to tell me about it, which like, thankfully I had already Sorry, I'm, but I have already known. Um, and therefore, I was like, I was uh, braced for the impact, I guess, that I was going to be receiving. Um, so I just, you know, listened and took it all in. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to, like, plant a seed in her head and get her excited. But I just wanted to hear, like, what she was going. And I think I even, like, said, uh, you know, what about adoption and um you know other things out there what about the states I think I like said all of like the possible things that you would say if you were hearing this story for the first time um and then I guess my husband and I had a conversation again about it and I was like I just want to do what's what's right and I and you know they tell you that in order to be a surrogate you have to have finished your family and I was coming and hawing if our family was really finished, but I think this gave us the um, go ahead to say like, I wanna do this. So like our family is complete as it is. Um, so yeah. And then I had to do like, I don't know, do you want me to like- Well, no, on? I just, I, what I, I'm curious about is like, I wanna know like what happened? Like, did you call her and tell her? Did you come together as a couple and talk about it? like? Emily, did you? Like, I have so many questions. Emily, were you like, were you like, I remember, down, like a hundred percent, or like, what was that moment? I remember exactly. We were sitting in my backyard, the four of us. I, oh, I think we had, yeah. I think we were. We got together for to eat or something. I don't know. We were I, sitting in the backyard. Yeah. And I'll never forget. It was actually Devin who said. Yeah. So we've been talking and we're wondering if maybe we can help you guys. And I think the world just started to move in slow motion and a lot of tears and just even the idea was just so 
overwhelmingly positive and we were feeling so grateful. Um, and of course, everything within, as everyone knows who works in anything within fertility, everything takes so much time to actually get to the point. So even if you volunteer to be someone's surrogate, we all knew that there's quite a bit of testing that has to be done before you're You approved. might have known that. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, really? No. Sh- shy of like <laughs> me not, you know, you guys making your embryo and that going inside me. I had no idea like what the process entailed. Um, maybe that was yeah. because I was naive and maybe didn't Google or like look it up. But I was like, yeah, baby, we'll go inside me and I'll carry it for nine months. But like, and I'll get to my story in a second, but um, it wasn't, yeah, like I'm said, it was very, um, it was a, like almost like a year and a half process. Mm. Right. Because you have to go through lawyers, you have to go through, had, had you made embryos even at this point, Em? No, she hadn't no. had embryos. No. Yeah. No, because, um, am I stepping on your toes here? But um, they were still... They, Emily was going through surgeries to see if she could still carry. They were trying to see if they could fix the scar tissue. Yes. So that is true. We were trying to have essentially reconstructive surgery on my organ, I guess you could say, to try to cut the scarring away. I don't know the better term for it. I'm laughing um, because I'm like, of course, our the uterus gets the pla- the surgery, the plastic reconstruction yeah. surgery. I'm like, yeah, you know, couldn't do be my face or my tits. Like, had to be the <laughs> fucking uterus. A hundred percent. But yeah, Steph is right. We uh we basically tried to see if we could, um fix the error and the surgery was successful, but they still told us they'd recommend that we wait to try to carry in the future because it was just still a pretty grim situation. So at that point we turned to the whole process of creating embryos, talking to agencies in Canada and the States and, you know, the conversation with Devin and Steph kind of came in as a blessing in the middle of it all. So I think our conversation happened August of 2021 and Sloan was born a July, June, June 23. So it was quite um, a process to get us to, here's the baby. And did it work? (laughs) Did it work on the first transfer? It did. So can you talk a little bit about when you found out you're pregnant? Me? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I knew I was pregnant because, and I think I just told Em that the other day that I was like, the magic of, I guess, um, transferring, um, you are pregnant and I guess until God forbid you're, you're not. This time it was like, okay, you're going to cut, lie on the bed and you're going to get, um, you know, we're going to transfer it and then you're pregnant. So, um, but in order to get us there, um, I believe I started the process in March of 2002. Because um, we had gone like, yeah, a year. So I did, um, uh, you know, I did a whole bunch of medical procedures, blood tests, ultrasounds, um, different things to make sure that I was a viable um, candidate first. Um, and then we had to go through my husband and I, once Emily and Micah picked agency, we had to be, I guess, vetted through the agency through a psych assessment. Um, 
and that no not agency not agency clinic clinic sorry yes sorry right so so it is important it is important that we like call out that because we worked with people that we knew we didn't work with any surrogacy agency per se which is a different process no better no worse um it just means that all of our conversations with lawyers were done through the four of us and all of our conversations about medical procedures were through the four of us but it is true that there are only certain fertility clinics in Canada which will work openly with surrogacy cases because it is fully legal of course but there is more gray area than a standard um, IVF treatment within surrogacy so there are only two clinics in Canada I believe now that will work with um, intended surrogates and there's quite extensive testing that needs to be done before an intended surrogate is approved so um, which like I sort of knew about the, you know, the psych assessment and the blood work prior just to make sure everything was um, in tip top shape. Um, but it wasn't until we got closer to the um, transfer that like I, my eyes kind of opened to this IVF world, which I never was a part of um, before, uh, which Maybe that's just my naivete. Like I said, I just literally thought I was transferred, uh, embryo was going to be transferred and that's it. But um, I had to go, I think daily or every other day to the clinic um, for blood work and ultrasounds before the transfer just to make sure everything was okay. And then to track the cycle and to really um, understand when that um, cycle was going to happen so that we transferred at the right time. Um, so that was new to me, but luckily the clinic that we worked at was, um, you know, in a convenient location to fit in our schedule. Um, and then through that process, I guess, of going daily for the, um, the checks, I found out that my lining wasn't thick enough to transfer because in Canada, I believe, um, correct me, um, it has to be like, 0.7 millimeters or something thickness Um, and there are people who carry naturally with a thinner lining um, which I could be I could not be I would never know because I never had these tests um, prior to carrying my own children Um, so they won't legally transfer if it's not at that thickness Um, so then I had to do um, shots I guess, similar to an IVF, someone who's retrieving eggs, um, because when you make more eggs, your lining gets thicker. So I had to do um, a preloaded shot every day, every second day, something like that at the same time. Um, And that cycle didn't work. So now we're at cycle number two. I forgot to mention that the first cycle, I got COVID that summer, and they wanted to wait a cycle. So now we're at cycle number two. And my lining isn't thick, um, so I had to do another round of um, shots, uh, this time a a bit stronger of a dosage of, I guess, medicine, where I had to pre-mix the, um, yeah, the powder and the liquid together. Um, 
So we had to do that. And thank God, I guess that process worked and my lining was thick enough. So then we were given um, a transfer day, I guess, based on the cycle. Um, so we went together to the clinic and when I went in, was uh, all I remember is just, you have to drink a lot of water. And then they do your ultrasound and they're like, oh, you really did drink a lot of water. We'll let you go to the bathroom to empty a little bit of that out. Um, and yeah. So we went in there and I went in not pregnant and I came out pregnant. Um, yeah. Hi, friends. Emily here interrupting this episode to talk to you about something that is near and dear to my heart, and that is the Day One Membership. I created the Day One Membership two years ago and have spent months and months updating the offering to make something super special for you. If you haven't heard about the Day One Membership, let me give you a quick overview. The Day One Membership is anything but a fertility support group. The idea behind being a member is, of course, connecting with those who truly get this journey, but also being exposed to coaching to help you shift your mindset. We do so much in terms of body optimization, but we need to also invest in how we think, perceive, and experience the journey so we can have the resiliency to take it on. The Day One membership has two groups, a primary group and a secondary fertility group. We have weekly coaching calls where you have the opportunity for hot seat coaching. You have access to our private online community and a portal where you can find unique resources. And we have some of the top experts jump inside for intimate AMAs. And at the end of the month, we open our sessions up to all partners to ensure they have a place and community to connect with. Feel free to email me at emily at day one fertility or go to www.dayonefertility.com slash membership to sign up. How was it to see her have to go through a bit of a process? Like, how did you stay connected in that? So I'm going to chime in. I know you asked them, yeah. but I want... I was going to say that I was a little bit frustrated, to be honest, um, because like I said, I didn't really um, know how much and how invasive until you are pregnant, um, what my commitment would be like, um, you know, when waking up, being at the clinic for 7am and being in the room with everyone who's doing the IVF treatments. And I want to be like, but there's like, uh, I have two kids. I'm not in, like, I'm doing something good for somebody. Um, so that was like kind of a little bit different um, experience. And also um, I, yeah, like I was like, well, I have two kids. Like my lining's like, I, like something could have happened in the five years, I guess, since my own, uh, my last baby. But I was like, let me just move on with the show. Like, uh, you know, I'm trying to do something good here. People like move it along. Um, and, uh, we also kind of had to look at the timing of things. Okay. So my brother had gotten engaged in COVID and was a very long engagement due to COVID and had finally picked a day and planned a wedding for July 2nd. I hope that day is right. Tell me then, um, of this past summer, 2023. So, when we were in September and October with those cycles, we were, you know, calculating nine months from there and humming and hawing if we should skip a cycle in order for me to be at my brother's wedding. 
Which was um, in a different city. Which, yes, I have to say, it was in a different city. So so with the first transfer we were supposed to do was July, but that one was canceled. Like, that one was canceled. And then the next one was um, September, which was put on hold. And then October came, and October was green-lighted. But my husband and I were like, should we still transfer because that puts you at a due date around July-ish? And you don't want to go out of town. You don't want to be in recovery if it's a C-section. All of this like unknown delivery stuff. But because we, um, you know, I think once you're in that go setting, like I had already said before, we were just like, let's just do it and see what happens. Because I had had to prep myself um, with all those shots for the last two months. I didn't want to have to like take a break and then go back to it. Um, So we transferred I think October 28th, um, correct me if I'm wrong, um, which then put us at a July 14th due date. And my brother's wedding was June 3rd or 2nd. Yeah, so what what I'm hearing from you is you actually experienced a different kind of naive, uneducated, blindside experience yourself, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, in in a way, you both had... um, that happened which was you went into something very naive and then you had to go through something and work through um a lot of unexpected um treatment to get you through and i and everything you're talking about in terms of like timing and not being in control and hoping that like that was your cycle that is like that is like baseline infertility stuff like that is what people go through (laughs) all the time you know and you weren't this is an issue like I actually think it's like the theme of today of like why aren't people sitting down and explaining hey when you go through a surrogacy process you have to get treated and not every cycle you might be you have to have thicker lining you have to you know x y and z for you to even transfer and so this is a story and it's 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 same same as M like with Asherman's in a way right it's like it's like why aren't people saying hey hey like let's just slow and let me explain to you so at least you were going in eyes wide open but I think you went in and there was some resentment almost to the process in itself and a lot of people in fertility especially in their first rounds of IVF is this is very common like extremely common to have resentment to the process because even myself, I you went in and you think it's a one and done and it's never like that. It's it's never like that. So I just want to say like I can relate to what you're saying and also it's just so common. Um unfortunately it's just common. Yeah. So so you're going through this like what the fuck is this that I signed up for? Like I want to do this thing for <laughs> my best friend, but like this is not what I pictured in my mind. And M, how are you, like, are you, Steph, are you kind of communicating this? Or M, are you kind of understanding behind the scenes, like, oh, I feel like she's, like, struggling here. H- how are you guys staying in in it, if you're okay to talk about if that? I, yeah, of course. If I think back to this time, I remember the four of us always talking on the phone together. And on a day-to-day basis, I can say that Micah and I really tried to focus on putting boundaries on ourselves to not micromanage Steph and Devin and not dump our stress onto them if possible. So of course, working with Steph 
we knew it would be easier because we knew her so well and we knew she was good at being pregnant and how comfortable we were with her lifestyle and how much she loved us. All of that was par for the course. But what I'm talking about is more so what would happen when hiccups arose. Having a delayed transfer because of stuff catching COVID or having a delayed transfer because of her lining not getting thick enough, we just knew that it would be so frustrating for her. And it didn't change the fact that we were so grateful for her sticking in this game with us. So, you know, Steph, you'll tell us if we did a good job, but we just really tried to make sure that nothing we would do or say to her would ever make her have regrets about doing this for us because it was so many things out of her control. And we wanted to make sure that she could enjoy it out us dumping onto her. It's complicated. It's complicated. You know, it's like, so, okay, we get through, you get the transfer, you're pregnant. How like, was the pregnancy in general how was how was those nine months yeah so i think another helpful part to explain about this process is if you are engaging in starting a family via surrogate one thing to keep in mind is almost everything is bound by a legal contract so whether you work with an agency or someone you know as far as i know most clinics won't begin a surrogacy journey unless they have a signed surrogacy contract which stipulates everything from the time of transfer all the way through to birth it seems intense when you think about having to write those decisions down in a legally binding contract before anyone's pregnant but throughout the process at least for me it provided a lot of reassurance because there were no gray areas or really tough conversations that could change the course of of this path so you know from that perspective everything was pretty smooth because we had this contract but on a day-to-day basis, we spent so much time together, the four of us, but also time with their girls. And they spent a lot of time with our families because they became part of our family. And of course, they will be forever part of our family now. We made a real concerted effort to see each other. Steph would send us photos as her belly was growing. And it was just, to me, a time where they really helped us believe that this was happening because we had lost so much faith that it could. No, I mean, you guys also were at every appointment that you could be at because it was no longer um, COVID. And um, I think given the situation, there was always like you and Micah or just you um, at an appointment. Um, So, yeah. And I think like even at one point, my husband was at one of the one of the appointments. So I think there was like four people in the room. Um, So, yeah, we always tried to keep each other. you know, of what was going on. I think even if you guys couldn't be at something, I would always like FaceTime or text. Um, You know, it's really easy these days to um, stay in touch and keep you guys in the loop. Um, But even, I know Emily just said something about contracts, but even when like I wanted, you know, to do something that maybe wasn't written in the contract, um, you know, because I think we are friends in that um, we don't want to, I think, have ruptures in the future. Um, we were kind of very, very honest um, going through this whole process. You know, you have to kind of err on, you know, in the light of transparency, like I always, you know, said, 
that, you know, it was the flu time. So like I was getting flu shots and COVID updates and all this stuff. I'm like, is this okay with you guys? Or even, um, you know, I was a little bit nauseous in the first trimester. So I was on diclectin um, and I made, you know, I sent Emily all the like medical research articles about it. And I said, like, my doctor wouldn't prescribe a prescription if it wasn't safe. And I was on it with my kids. And, you know, I made sure that, uh, you know, but I said, if you don't want me to take it, I, you know, I understand um, that. And I was, um, you know, even when I wanted to change something that we had already put into the contracts, you know, at one point, um, you know, I had agreed to something and then I didn't want to, as the pregnancy progressed, I said, like, because we're friends, like, like I'm happy to sign the contract again, like whatever, but I don't want this stipulation to be in there anymore. Is that okay? And you know, we, ha I think that is um, part of uh, surrogacy journey is that all four people involved, all four parties need to have an open um, dialogue and open communication and be trusting um, to work together. Okay. So because as Steph was mentioning, we were delayed in our transfer three or four times. What that obviously meant was her due date was postponed to three or four months later. And before we knew it, she was due within two weeks of her brother's wedding, which was in another city, which she was obviously a big part of, and her girls were part of, and Devin was part of. So all of a sudden, we found ourselves talking about how are we going to help timing be on our side here? Within a few weeks of her due date, we started to talk about, you know, what our options were because there's certain timing where it's obviously safe for a baby to be induced and there's certain timing where it's too early. And if it's not a medical emergency, they're not going to approve an induction at 37 weeks and 37 weeks and five days. So we were basically balancing the clock in order that Steph could ideally deliver early two weeks early because then she would be able to deliver at 38 weeks where a baby is considered at term. And again, for, for us, once the doctors told us that that would be safe, our next priority was making sure that Steph was able to, we would have felt horrible if Steph had to miss her brother's wedding because of us. That would have been, I, I wouldn't have dealt with that guilt very well. I would have felt terrible. My labor um, with my own two girls was really um, fast. I also was, um, you know, your third, typically each pregnancy, you're, you're fast and you, um, you typically don't hit your due date. Um, so that was a factor too. Um, and I actually have been only induced. I don't know what natural labor is, but once I get into active labor, it's really fast. I'm like, like really like two pushes and that's it. So like, we didn't want to be uh, on the 401, you know, delivering a baby in, um, you know, like in Belleville and finding a hospital there. Also, we had the addition of the surrogacy process and transferring a baby where a hospital didn't know us. I know we're kind of jumping all over the place here, but before, um, once we got closer to um, delivery, we met with a social worker at, um, the hospital that we were delivering at that took on our case um, because there's a lot of process with the baby because um, typically a baby is attached to the mother because that's how it goes. But I wasn't and am not 
by any means am I Sloan's mother at all. So um, I think the baby had to like be its own patient and Emily then had to be in patient um, because otherwise once you go to the hospital for labor, you're, you're the patient. Um, so there's a whole bunch of moving pieces there that hospital that didn't know us would have to take. Yeah. And we didn't want to like have to deal with any of that. Right. Yeah. So basically trying to deliver at 38 weeks and also trying to avoid having Steph travel along the way before she was um, before she went into labor, because there were so many specifications around the four of us being in the room when our son was born. And if you show up to a hospital without this contract that they've seen before, there's a huge chance that things can go in a different direction. And we really wanted to protect that delivery. So basically, we were able to convince them that delivering at 38 weeks to the day was the safest thing for both Steph and and the baby. I think everyone agreed that having her travel by car for six, whatever it is, hours, risking going into labor either on the way to or the way back from the wedding would have been a huge risk to Steph and the baby. So we got approved to do an induction on 38 weeks to the day. Right at 38 and zero, I was induced. The baby is there, comes out, what is that feeling for you, Steph? Because I, 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 I'm asking first only because I, the surrogates that I've spoken to that I've interviewed do it for this moment. It's like, it's like they want to be part. The, the passing, like that whole thing, is so powerful. What was that for you? That was like the best I think because, like, um, God like works in a funny way to like make you forget what labor and pregnancy is kind of about. Um, but it's funny when it's not your own. Um, so I was like, all ready and to like deliver. And I just felt like so powerful. Um, and I really just wanted to just, you know, give Emily and Micah the like best gift that I could possibly give them. And I was so, um, you know, so grateful that they were able to be in the room and just like hear the first cry and you know be there for the first like touch and stuff and um it's kind of like comical because I think the first like the whole nine months all Emily talked about was skin to skin I just want to be in the room I just want to do skin to skin right away so she put on um the gown but like backwards so it's open like in the front um and flown was it his arm M that got a little bit um stuck so my doctor stepped aside and let a um, seasoned, um, not that my doctor's not seasoned at all, but someone who does more um, deliveries kind of pull the baby out. And I think that that doctor didn't know the circumstances and was like pulling out and like coming towards me. And I went like this and I was like, no, what? And I'm like directing the scene. I'm like, Emily, go sit down. And like, how? And I'm like, yeah, she was like, not me, like, not me. She's I'm over like, there. She's over there. Out. And I'm like directing traffic. I'm like, go sit down. I'm like, open your shirt. Yeah. I was like, get this baby. Not that I don't because I snuggle with him all the time. I'm like, get this baby away from me. <laughs> That's so, oh my God. And I'm like, just like, I could cry just imagining, just imagining it. It's such a crazy feeling to think back on. Even 
just thinking back on the entire day and the fact that the four of us were able to just be in that birthing suite together and just laughing, just like four homies, just shooting the shit for the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like our husbands are so funny and just a ton of laughter is what I remember. And, you know, even as Steph was going through contractions, just thinking about trying to distract her if we could and make her laugh and, you know, you guys are like, the are you, ha- are you crashing right now? Like, you're so quiet. You're not like, what's happening? <laughs> no, she's a super, she was super stoic giving birth. It was really amazing. And it, it's obviously complicated because Micah and I wanted to be out of the way, but feel part of it. So we were kind of standing behind everyone, just like squeezing each other's hands to feel that we were just helping. But obviously, you know, Devin's going to be by her side. So we're just standing behind Devin. And then, yeah, Micah and I are just sitting in a corner waiting to have the baby handed to us. And so this is the point where stuff's like, not me, not me over there, over there, brown hair over there. And, you know, the nurses turn around and put the baby on me. And it was just, you can't even describe the emotion you feel. I, I empathize so much with what any parent feels when they do that. But I have to say that when you've been trying to have a baby for a long time and it's been a challenge and all you want to feel that you're on the other side of it is to feel that baby. I can't really describe how powerful it is because it's, just indescribable. But of course, it's the best moment of my life. And it's the best moment of my husband's life to feel that you are on the other side. And that baby is yours. A fertility journey is is one of the most isolating experiences you can go through. And it's also if you allow yourself and you open yourself can be the most connected, the most magical experience in the same breath. And I don't think either of you walked into your friendship thinking this is this is going to be part of your story and it is so special like i can't um express even myself that type of bond that type of communication that type of you know steph this wasn't just a gift from you it was a gift from your entire family you know it's like you get pregnant that impacts everybody in that house and so it's like these, they say it takes a village to raise a baby and it takes a village to make one. And I think that's so true in this story. It's so beautiful. Like, wow. You said it was a whole um, journey and you know, we talked about our husbands a lot, but um, definitely it was my whole family contributed to this process. Um, I wouldn't be able to have happened without my husband who happened to just walk in the door to now. Um, so yeah, he definitely took on a lot of that, you know, extra load in the household and my kids too, because they had to understand that I wasn't, you know, yeah. able to, you know, sometimes I was just tired. Yeah. <laughs> That's life. Um, so yeah. I am so, like I said, from the beginning, this is, such a like gift in general to hear from both of you. It's rare sometimes, you know, to get um, the surrogate and the intended parent in one conversation. It's because it's complicated. This is not like linear in any way on both sides. And um, like, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for bringing awareness to education and the importance of advocating for yourself. Um it's huge. 
And I know that this is going to touch a lot of lives and listeners. And um, I want to ask you both the question I ask every guest that joins the podcast. Steph, I'm going to start with you. What advice would you give someone starting day one of their surrogate journey? Um, I would just say enjoy it. Um, you know, typically it's a very different pregnancy than having your uh, pregnancy for yourself. So just like accept it and um, go with the flow uh, and, and have the intended parents uh, be a part of the process as much as possible. Um and also in the same breath, maybe just do a bit more research than I did <laughs> so that you're you're a little bit uh, more prepared. Okay. And um, I'm going to tweak this slightly for you. What advice would you give someone starting day one of their fertility journey? Uh, I would say try to muster up your confidence to really step into a place of action. I think that grit is part of this journey, even just moving the process along getting clarity on your options, pushing for more information, asking for another opinion. Of course, you don't have control over many things, many parts of this process, but I do still believe that you're very much in the driver's seat and you have a voice that needs to be heard and you have to maybe be reminded of that, but it's very, very true. You need to advocate for yourself and push things along with your own voice. And if you ever feel alone, just know that there are many people that would be so happy to support you through it. There's obviously this community. Anyone listening is welcome to call me. People will help motivate you along You you know, if you have loved ones or your partner. But that's the most important thing I would say is to muster up the confidence to step into a place of action and speak up for yourself. Beautiful. Thank you so much. This has been so we've covered so many things and it's just been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Bye. Hi friends, Emily here. I want to thank you for being part of this community. The reach day one has had since day one has been incredible. And that is literally because you watch rate review and subscribe. I feel extremely grateful to have the opportunity to interview incredible experts, brave storytellers, and also use this as an opportunity for me to shed light on my own personal journey. This is just the beginning of day one. We have big, big plans to scale, diversify the guest selection, provide unique support offerings, and that is enabled by you. So if you enjoy this show, I have one simple ask of you, and that is to hit the follow button and continue to rate and review on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to this podcast. Thank you for bringing more awareness to the fertility experience by listening.